oh, what's that American MMA guy who came down here? Dave Mazzani. And the cool thing is, is that uh, EFC were nice enough to send their own fucking camera to hang with us for the whole day. Oh, okay. So we went and did a yoga session, and then the guy came and sat here. And then that content got used for their embedded... Primo. Yeah, their, yeah, that's cool. Their YouTube he lost, though, program. didn't he? No, he won, dude. Oh. Who did you fight? Uh, oh, from Zimbabwe, Temba Garimbo. Oh, he's a FFF boy. FFM. He? Yeah. Knocked him out in the first round. Tall guy. Oh, left, okay. left hook, bitch. Dropped him. Oh, okay. Um, so. Yo, I don't mind. Whatever you want to do. We get uh, get comfortable. Make sure the mic is yeah, yeah. pointing. Cool. You know how microphones work. Thank God I've got an actual professional in here for once. You get a whole bunch of fighters. The mic is down there. <laughs> and they're turning away. And no, that should be good. If you feel the need to swear, you're more than welcome to. Oh, okay. This isn't okay. that kind of a show. Colin okay. Nathan, welcome to the 10 Point Must, my friend. It's been a long time. And I must admit to you one thing. When I first built the studio, I imagined this day. Wow. You were sitting there. Sure. And, and we were doing this. Well, I, then I feel honored. You should feel honored. Okay. I dragged you all the way from Frane for this. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> and, and I've had three and a half hours sleep. <laughs> Couldn't sleep. I had serious in, insomnia last night. And I, I didn't want to let the team and, you, and your concept down so thanks for having me in ten, anticipation ten, 10 point must system yeah 10 point must 10 podcast. point must okay very good cool. name right very cool most very people cool. don't get it it's only boxing people who get it yeah how's your trip your trip down to cape town been you've been chilling doing nothing yeah i mean i've been trying to avoid you know the popular places and cape town's cool it's my old hometown and some great places to eat it's been all about family no capri sir Def I actually haven't even been to Camps Bay. I've been here nearly three weeks, and it's it's been quite cool not to to do those kind of places. Not to say that I don't like Camps Bay, but um, just yeah, I just want to say a big shout out to my ex-wife and my wife. We're all staying together. <laughs> I know it's a little bizarre. I tell people that they think I'm using Muti. Um, so it's been a whole great time for my family and my kids. And um, yeah, so I just want to say a big shout out to all of them, my family. My mom as well. She's also living in Cape Town. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. I bumped into your mom the other day at the SABC. She was paying a TV license. Doing yeah. the right thing to do. You yeah, know? I actually pay mine too. I hope you did too. I don't have a TV, Colin. <laughs> oh, okay. You're one of those. You read lots of books, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally bookworming it, man. Yeah. Okay. So so there's a lot of um, purpose for me to be in Cape Town. Yeah. Not just in, in December, but generally throughout the year as well. Well, it's home to you. It is. And my firstborn with my ex-wife, are living here now. They've been living in Cape Town for over a year. And uh, my son's loving it. It's, it's a great lifestyle. And who knows, maybe uh, maybe we'll be back. Maybe. Every year you guys come back. No, here. maybe we'll live here. Well, uh, yeah. nice. Yeah. But then like what, are you going to drag all the Joe Big Boys from the South United box to come down to Cape Town? You know, things are always evolving and changing. And... Um, this is a great place to, to bring up kids and, and train. Great training facilities, mountains and stairs and so forth. The only problem is the altitude. I love training my fighters at altitude. Yeah. And, and also for foreign fighters eventually, because that's what I want to break into as well eventually, it's a very cheap place to camp in Johannesburg compared to the euro and the rand and the dollar, etc. So... Um, well, supposedly. Supposedly. Cyril Ramaphosa is oh, yeah, taking rain, care yeah, of that. Correct. The rand has gone stronger, so... Um, there's always possibilities and when it comes to my family and for them benefiting, I will go to Alaska and train in the snow if I have to. Well, Cape Town, there's a big scene that's starting to kick off now. Suddenly all of, it's like in the last two or three years. And I mean, I've been in the scene here for years and it's been absolutely dead with terms of professional fighting mm -hmm. for a very long time. For the longest time, it was just white collar and little club shows and stuff. Now suddenly there's a bunch of promoters here in Cape Town and they're putting on regular shows. And I mean, I did a show at the end of last year for the first time ever. There were two professional shows on in Cape Town Correct. at the same time. Yeah. That's never happened. And I think there's definitely a shift starting to happen in terms of guys in Cape Town going, well, we can't get on the, onto Supersport. We can't get onto SABC. Let's do our own thing. And let's just do as we do. And uh, they'll come to us eventually. And Cape Town's the most marketable city on the planet when we have water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I agree. I think um, I think it was in 2013 that there was only two or three shows throughout the whole year. Or one. It was one or two. And last year, in fact, it's not just Cape Town. If you look 
all over this, all over South Africa, particularly even in East London and Johannesburg, they've got these small development shows. Now, what promoters and what trainers and managers need to understand is that these shows are vital for finding and identifying talent. So a kid who's a good amateur needs that foundation and needs that exposure and and the opportunities of fighting prelim fights, four-rounders and six-rounders, and the big promoters can't promote them all. So they're going to be crucial within the next five years, and they need to be continuing for us to get our next stars through the ranks. So Cape Town has definitely blossomed in terms of tournaments and so forth. The standard, sometimes you need to question, but again, that's most development shows. Yeah, it's you very know, hit and miss when it, you put on a It, it really show. is, and there's always going to be a lot of mismatches and a lot of early knockouts and and so forth. But, you know, eventually those fighters or a few of those fighters from these shows will emerge. And not all of those fighters are going to make it. You'll see like 10 really good prospects and you'll only see one fighter of the 10 go all the way. Yeah. And I'm talking about world championship or world class level. And that's just because it's a numbers game, weight division uh, and so forth. Not all of those 10 fighters who are talented on our prospects are going to be world championship material fighters. Well, also the way that I kind of see it is that the big established promoters are all kind of at the end of their career where they're cashing in on things that they've been building for the last 20, 30 years or whatever it may be. So it's fair, it's fair enough for them to want to concentrate on this, the, the finished product that they already have, that they've worked hard building. The the problem where it comes in is that obviously the television dates that you can get in this country, being that this is not America, we don't have millions and millions of channels that can that can uh, flight any of these fights. So the 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 fight then becomes with the smaller promoters to get their guys noticed. But this is where the internet comes in, and this is where guys are starting to stream shows uh, like Calicota Promotions is streaming on. They got their deal on Quasi, but it's something that you could quite easily do in house, and I think that's what's going to start happening. And, you know, super sports, the big established guys, but their fingers are in a lot of pies with other sports. Whereas Correct. dedicated boxing, there's none of that. And I'm glad you touched on the thing with streaming because it's the way of the future. Um, you still have your HBOs and your Showtimes, your big, big fights and so forth. But, um, you know, Joseph Parker's last title defense was streamed. It was America. on YouTube. Correct. So, so, you know, I don't know how much money was in it for the people who produced it and, and obviously the promotion, promotion, et cetera. I think... Frank Warren had the challenger. He did. But at the end of the day, the point is, is that even if they didn't make money now, in five, six years' time, you do that kind of event, they'll probably be making three, four times as much money as they were making for this fight. So definitely the way of the future. Well, you know how many YouTube billionaires there are because of just streaming a cooking show from the guy's uh, kitchen in his house, you know? Correct. And, and what's really cool is let's go one step back or even one step further. Your concept in your own own establishment in your own private home this is the way where the future i mean we were talking earlier you said to me colin we could even live stream it off my phone now the truth of it is if you get two cameramen holding a really cool android phone you could do an event just off your phone in a boxing event oh, so totally. so technology is moving so quickly and you know i like to consider you and i still very young and we need to keep ahead <laughs> of that and we also need to know that there are other options. Yeah. Um, going back to the development and prospect thing, the one thing that I will give credit to is Golden Gloves in terms of them building a fight and being loyal. If a fighter is loyal to Golden Gloves, they will move heaven and earth. Hickey Butler, for example, from fight one, um, Rodney Berman looked after him from fight one. And there's there's others. You know, you can talk about Tulani and Bengi as well. Uh, DJ Krill as well. Is also, these, these are young fighters coming up. But what's really cool is, is that Golden Gloves identifies those talents. And obviously, they want a good fighter. They're not going to just work with anyone. But, you know, you look at you look at Vianney Bungu and you look at um, Philip Holliday, uh, Corey Solis. Those are just examples of Golden Gloves grooming these young fighters who were good amateurs into good prelim fighters, championship fighters, world-class fighters, and then world champions. So with that, let's have a look at like South Africa's scene and the international scene. Um, 2017 was probably one of the best years for the sport of boxing that we've had 
in possibly the last decade, with exception of 2013, which was a fire year as well. Obviously, everyone remembers Bradley Provodnikov. That's a very difficult fight to ever, ever sort of <laughs> eclipse as a fight of the year. But this last year, I saw two fights of the year. Obviously, everyone's going to go, and most of the media have gone with Klitschko versus AJ. It was a fantastic, as a fight, take away 90,000 people, take away Wembley as the fight itself. It was insane. And what it did was it brought people back to the heavyweight division. 90,000 yeah. people in London watched that fight live. So, so, so you got to ask yourself, five years before that, Klitschko was in his reign, along with his brother, and you and I watched a couple of fights together when I was still courting my wife. We were still dating. She was <laughs> living in Cape Town. When you still had a reason we, to come um, to Cape Town. You and I both agreed that he was boring as hell, but he got the job done and he was, excuse me, he was, he was okay. You know, like for me, when I think back during the time of the Lennox Lewis reign, I really, really didn't like his reign and I found him boring. Then when he retired and the Klitschko's took over, I was thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I actually miss Lennox Lewis because he wasn't so bad in comparison to the Klitschko's. But again, the Klitschko's got the job done. He fizzled out. You could see he was kind of aging. He was befuddled against Tyson Fury, who I thought would never beat him. And that's what boxing's all about, producing upsets. And then we thought maybe he had an off night. Tyson Fury went off the rails, did too many rails, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fight was made. Now, going in, fans were divided, but also fans who were average sporting fans and average boxing fans knew who Klitschko was. Yeah. And they kind of heard who this AJ kid was. So that in itself was intriguing. You got a young gun and you got a guy who's got all this experience who might be past it. We don't know. Coming off a loss, being out the ring for over over a year, yeah, what's going to happen? And what happened was <clears throat> you saw the torch being passed, but you also saw a great heavyweight fight. And AJ, as good looking and as powerful and as strong as he is, was vulnerable. And he got put over in the sixth round after hurting Klitschko in the fifth. And what happened was you had the fans sitting up saying, what is going on here? Or hell's going to break loose. Yeah. And then you've got the crowd, which didn't, didn't, which obviously helped matters. And it was in the UK. And all of a sudden, after Klitschko lost, first of all, he got his credit. You know, he was no longer that boring guy. One fight kind of changed his whole career, the, ma the way he showed heart. At the time of the stoppage, I had him one round up. Well, exactly. And it was also the kind of fight that, well, wait a minute, AJ could be for real, is for real, but he's vulnerable. Now, when you get a fighter who is a good-looking guy who can punch and is charismatic, but is suspect, that makes him, to me, even more marketable. Good because TV. Good TV, and the fans will always support him. They'll probably be loyal to him. But sitting there as a promoter, you don't really know what's going to happen if he gets hit in the chin. Now, that's a good thing, I think, for boxing, oh, because yeah. that creates excitement. And that's what the heavyweight division has been craving for for years. Well, before the, the Vladimir fight, we saw him fight Dillian White. And that was the first time he really got buckled. Correct. Like Se second round, he got caught with the left hook and he was all over the place. Exactly. So, yeah. But the thing is, is the Vladimir or, or, fight. Or was it the fifth round? It was, it was midway. Some, I think some, it was yeah, somewhere think, midway. Yeah. But the, the Klitschko fight proved that the guy gets buckled, he gets put down, but he gets back up. He's, yeah. he, he absorbed that shot. He took two rounds off. I mean, off th that shot that Klitschko hit him with was a cannon. It even made a gunshot noise when it connected him. And he did take two rounds off. So it shows that he's got a bit of a brain on him because he knows not, he, he needs to try not to engage with the guy until he got himself back. So the big, biggest question of that scenario was what happens if that right hand had caught him two years before that with Klitschko being fresher? Yeah. I think Klitschko would have stopped him. Yeah. But would have, should have, could have. We were talking about there and now. And I think he showed a lot of maturity to weather the storm and come back. The ending was very conclusive. I uh, have no problem with stoppage. No, no, no. But having said that, Klitsch goes up by points. It was that kind of fight, you know. I, I didn't score. I just knew it was balanced, balanced on a knife edge because it could have gone either way. But in the end, the younger, fresher 
more marketable guy for the sport. Because let's be honest, if Klitschko won, it would have been a complete screw up for the division. Oh yeah, you know he has a guy in his forties. He should shouldn't be there, and and why is he beating a guy in his twenties? You know, so great sportsmanship, and that was one of the standout fights for 2017. And I know a lot of magazines and online sites have said fight of the year, and I certainly will go with that. Well, if Klitschko had one, you would have heard a uh, mirror smashing in the house of Tyson Fury going, fuck the cocaine, I'm going back to boxing, I need to beat this guy again and get my belts back. Yeah, and I mean, he's not calling out uh, Joshua, and I think the fight should happen. It um, will happen. He looks like he's been training. I mean, he's he's with Ricky Hatton at the moment or something like that? Yeah, well, he's training in his gym with Ricky Hatton, and not worth it, Ricky. But in the gym, obviously the same area and so forth. But, you know, does he take a warm-up fight? I don't know. You know, he, he might look crap and then I think he should go straight into it. Get a clean bill of health and just go straight into it. But when has he ever looked really good? Even in beating Klitschko, the style that he used was just, I'm bigger than you and I'm going to lean on you and take all of your strength away, which is something that Klitschko normally does to other people. But... I mean, I've seen him get put over by Steve Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen him. He's, he's not an exciting guy. He's not a big puncher. He's not a knockout artist. But he's awkward. And and I think his style will will give Joshua some big problems. Because it's something that Joshua would never have seen before. Never have seen before. And how do you prepare? How do you prepare someone to fight? How do you prepare to fight like someone like that? You With know, that the guys all over us. And he's awkward and he shifts. And he's heavy. And he's quite smart in the ring. Let's yeah. give him some credit. You know, I, I, I hate his style. I I was embarrassed to call him heavyweight champion. But the point is he beat the man who beat the man. Yeah. So give him his due. He was recognized as the heavyweight champion of the world. But if the fight happens, I mean, I think AJ beats him, but I don't think it's a nice fight to I watch. I don't think it's pretty at all, yeah. no. Yeah. There was so you would say that's the fight of the year, Klitschko versus AJ, without a doubt. For the the level of it was the 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 pageantry that was involved, the ninety thousand well, people. Well, there were a few. Yeah. Um, there that's was where I'm there was at. there was Canelo and Triple G, which ended in a draw, and then you had the McGregor Mayweather fight, which was more an event as opposed to a fight. We're because talking we, fight of the year here, Colin. Let's yeah, we talk fights and, and events of the year for boxing for twenty seventeen. Okay. So so you could you. As much as I hate it, you have to mention McGregor Mayweather. Yeah, um, unfortunately. And all three were tainted with controversy, drama, and dramatic ending, particularly Klitschko and, and Joshua. Now, I'm not disrespecting any MMA fans, um, <coughs> but you, <laughs> but you had to be seriously, seriously, either on meth. <coughs> Or if you're not wearing your, if you weren't wearing your socks, smoking them, if you thought McGregor was going to beat Mayweather, oh yeah, totally. The only thing was is that oh well, McGregor really punches hard. Okay. Oh, Mayweather's now forty. Uh, okay. Who's Mayweather really beaten? Uh, okay. <laughs> or rather, in his prime. Uh, okay. So if you break it down, I mean, there were guys on social media running the miles of oh, I'm backing Connor. Okay, cool. Now, I was backing the event because what it did was it brought MMA and boxing together for one night, even though it was in a boxing ring. And the MMA fans who were really clued up knew, knew that McGregor wouldn't win. And let's be honest, Mayweather having his 50th fight, and we have to accept that it was his 50th fight. I will never accept that that was his 50th win. I'm sorry. Well, you have to because it was sanctioned. It's on a piece of paper. That's it. So sanctioned. So there was no ways that Mayweather will come out of retirement and lose his last bout. Well, they say it's his last bout, but let's see. So that in itself was great because you got both sports standing up and the world taking notice of both sports, which is great. And the average sporting person would watch that fight thinking, well, I don't really know much about boxing. I don't really know much about MMA. And those were the guys who were thinking, well, I'm going to go for the younger guy. Yeah. Okay, because they didn't know. And that's what the house made all their money off. Correct. What Mayweather's goal was to try and beat his his numbers with Pac-Man. And he said it publicly that it would break all records. And I dislike Mayweather. I'm not a Mayweather fan. So sorry for him. It did not break all records. Uh, Pac and him are still the highest grossing fight in boxing history. Now, naturally, that's going to change because... You know, people evolve and there'll be other super fights and there'll be more population in the world and more people interested in the fight game. 
But for now, that stands. Um, and I, I was indifferent. Initially, I was angry about the fight happening because I thought it was a complete disrespect to both sports. Oh, so did I. Because I thought, you know, if Mayweather got into the cage with McGregor, he would get smashed. I mean, it wouldn't even be competitive. Because um, it's just two different codes, isn't it? But then, you know, you look deep into the sport and you had the linear middleweight champion of the world against a world champion. So you had Gennady Golovkin and you had uh, Canelo Sol Alvarez. And again, fans were divided. Now, let me be perfectly candid and say, I've only watched the first four rounds. I was overseas. So I can't give a full assessment on the outcome. But having said a draw, 70% of the people that I've spoken to, I would say, and the comments I've seen on social media are going with Gennady Golovkin saying it was a bad decision. Then the 30% are saying, well, wait a minute, I actually had Canelo up. So if it's that kind of fight, and from the first four rounds that I watched, Gennady did nothing. When you lose three or four rounds in the first 12 rounds, it's really hard to play catch-up. I'm not suggesting that the draw is fair. What I'm suggesting is, is that a rematch has to happen. And it has to happen in 2018. The thing is, you've got, you got judges all over the world who are either biased, who are like certain styles, who like counterpunches, or you like fighters who come, who, forward. who come forward. And then you have your favorites. Now, Adelaide Bird, 118-110, giving Golovkin only two rounds. To me, that clearly is a biased decision because she has her favorite. And that's okay. It's human error. And that's why we're always going to get decisions like that. And you can't blame her. It's just what it is. She's obviously a Canelo fan. And that's okay. But the problem is you get clouded because of your favorite in your own heart or head is coming through. And that's that what happens to all of us. Correct. It happens to me as well. Correct. Sometimes I'm blinded by my Correct. friendship to somebody or Correct. my affiliation with somebody Correct. and I can't see the obvious. But the thing is, and I've I've watched this fight in its entirety twice. I watched it on the plane the other day when I came back from Durban. And the thing is, is that my, th my thought was, you know what? A draw doesn't set up a rematch. It sets up a three match because there will be a winner in the next fight. And regardless of who that winner is, there will be a rematch clause for the person who lost, which means it'll be draw, 1-0, dead rubber, possibly a fourth. And I think this is why the negotiations have taken so long to hammer out, even though it's kind of like an open secret that's going to be on Cinco de Mayo on the 5th of May or whatever it may be. But I think they're trying to hammer out a deal down the line going, okay, guys, there is going to be a winner in this fight. We need to think about the next fight because it was a great fight to watch. It's not, it wasn't a boring or cuck fight at all. Yeah. And obviously, I had Gennady winning. I had it eight to four. I've watched it again. I still had it eight to four. But again, it was dependent on what you were wanting to watch. Correct. The guy who was making all the work was Gennady. The guy who was being lazy in his typical manner, but still hitting back with effective counter shots and looking quite good, taking Gennady's best shots as well, which surprised me. Saul's got a hell of a chin on him. Yeah. To a point where it's almost made Saul one of my favorite fighters to watch at the yeah. moment. So, so let's talk about the rematch if it happens. And it's going to hurt me to say this. But I think Canelo beat him. And I'm a massive Triple G fan. Massive. He's one of my favorite fighters. I think you can't, you can't be for the time. And I think it's starting to creep up on Gennady. And I think if there's anyone who can adapt better in a second fight, it would be Canelo because he's a younger guy. Yeah. And also, a lot of people don't give Canelo the credit for being a defensive master. Oh, yeah. Um, when he fought Mayweather, he was way too green. It came way too soon. Um, I think back then, if Canelo knows what he, you know, you bring the Canelo back now to fight Mayweather, I think he'd have a different story. I really do, especially at that weight. Um, Mayweather's obviously smart enough not to fight him now. Oh, well, he's middleweight um, now. So yeah, middleweight. So, although he killed himself making. Uh, junior middle to win the WBA title. Um, so it pains me to say this. I just think he's he's going to be the one to adapt better in the second fight. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think Triple G is... I don't think Triple G wins the second fight. I can see what you're saying. Um, I can also see Triple G starting faster this time, 
knowing that he can't afford to lose those early rounds and give any kind of momentum away. But it's going to be a great rematch. And can I just throw a spanner in the works? Billy Joe Saunders. Yeah, he has to be mentioned in this topic. I think Where does he fit into this? And is he capable of doing the amazing to either guy? Yes. I mean, he literally played with Lemieux. and um, Nobody played with Lemieux. Well, g- besides Gennady. Yeah. But, but not that, like that. Well, it's also a contrast of styles, isn't it? You know, you've got a guy who's essentially a counterpuncher who likes to move. And Canelo and Chilpachi hate those kind of guys. Yeah. Hate those kind of guys. Terrible matches for them. Footwork. So if I was either part of the managerial part of those camps for Triple G and Canelo, I wouldn't touch Saunders right now. But I also, I think that Saunders doesn't deserve to be touched because let's face it, we've been wanting Triple G Canelo for such a long time. They're now engaged in what will be, I'm sure Gennady will not fight anybody else because he knows time is not on his side. Yeah, he knows that. And, and I don't think that Saunders deserves to be put into that conversation with those two guys because let's face it, he hasn't warranted to be there. But fighting whoever wins that third match down the line, fighting maybe Canelo in the future, that will definitely happen, more likely than him fighting Triple G. And then in which case, what do you think happens? Well, firstly, let me say, I think... Let the rematch happen first. And then if there's another controversial decision, split decision, like you said, there might be a third fight. It wouldn't surprise me if Saunders is actually frozen out of that picture for now. But I would honestly think that Saunders has a legitimate chance against both fighters. So while Saunders is sitting on the sidelines, something that can keep him busy is Daniel Jacobs. Jacobs would possibly beat him. You but think Jacobs? Yeah, is I think Jacobs got has got quick hands, quick feet. Um, obviously, takes a relatively good punch if he could go twelve with Gennady, uh, which was interesting because you know early in his career he was known as a dodgy chin, you know, but he's kind kind of come on. Yeah, Dmitry Perog iced yeah, him in the sixth one round. One shot, right hand over the top. So so he's really come on. He really is a miracle man. And he's an Eddie Hearn boy. Um, and Eddie can, can get those kind of fights made. But Again, does he do it's, business it's with, with Frank, Frank Warren. <laughs> can they sit down? I think the deciding factor would be money. And HBO has them now both on their radar, obviously because HBO would have shown the Lemieux fight. And that, that was uh, Saunders' first fight on HBO. I believe. It must have been. Because he's been, been in the yeah. UK ever since. I just hope that he isn't one of those guys who has a problem with a visa because he committed some <laughs> stupid crime and he can't go to the States and he's not telling anybody until the last minute our visa problems or whatever it may be. But as a shit talker, as a colorful character, I love Billy Joe Saunders. I'm sold. I love listening to that guy. Yeah, I just don't like watching him fight. <laughs> He'll cause problems for anybody. Yeah, yeah. So, fighter of the year? For the year 2017? So Terence Crawford, to me, should get the mention. Cleaned up the division. um, Looks spectacular doing it against Julius Ndongo. Um, Lomachenko, I know people are talking that he beat Rigondeaux. Not sold. Rigondeaux was two two divisions smaller. And he kind of gave up, up, which, you know, not, not, not cool in the sport of boxing, unfortunately. I think whoever won between Canelo and Triple G should have got the nod, but because it was a draw and there was a lot of controversy, and they're kind of a little bit behind. Um, yeah, I go with Terence Crawford. The fight now, though, for me, for 2018, and I hope anyone in America is listening or any of the big guys listening, would be Crawford and Spence Jr. That's the fight. That's the fight for me. Um, not many people have mentioned it, not many people have spoken about it on social media, but I've been thinking about it in my spare time. That, to me, as a fan, would be mouth-watering. Well, look where Crawford is now, and 147 pounds is like, you've got Thurman, you've got mm-hmm. Spence. So Spence is going to be fighting Lamont Peterson now. Uh, we all know the, the outcome of that. Okay. Then you've got, still to a certain degree, although I think that he has been exposed a lot in his loss to Thurman, Danny Garcia. Still very capable, still world class. That's a fight for him down the line. And then um, who who else would you be saying that in that? Keith Thurman's there as well. Yeah, well, Thurman is the first I mentioned. 
So there's four or five very good fighters and Bud Crawford. Yeah. So so obviously would be Thurman, Crawford, and Spence. Who would you rank in terms of uh, of like a top five in that welterweight division now that Crawford is officially vacated his belts and said I'm in 147? Where do you put Crawford? So I put Spence in number one. Okay. I would. Thurman number two. Even though Thurman's got the most belts. Yeah. Okay. I would. Uh, it's also based on performances. So Bud's been wasting everybody. Yeah, he, ha- he has. But and he's Spen- been fighting Spence, top guys as well. Spence has been knocking guys spark out. Yeah. And he's been, he won the championship in the champion's backyard. I mean, that's something special. And he just, he beat him up. Yeah. Thurman won a split over Garcia, who I actually thought it was a very fair decision. I had no problem with the decision. Can I just put a little asterisk on that win that you're talking about in his backyard? You're talking about the Kelbrook fight. Yes. Kelbrook yeah, was tro- yeah. PG sloppy sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. But his natural weight apparently at that time was welterweight. And he struggled to make it. But he still made it. He was still champion. So so you got to take that into account. But look what he was doing before that. Algeri spark out. Uh, Bundy spark out. I mean, these are good and fighters. Bundy Maybe had a good chin on him. Correct, I mean, Thurman couldn't even knock him out. Yeah, and he was sleeping when he got knocked out against um, Spence. Um, so I really rate Spence. I think he's the best welterweight in the world. Um, so then Thurman would be second. Uh, f- third, maybe Garcia. Fourth, maybe. Fourth, you you have to put in... Um, I'm worried that Crawford's Craw- not going into Crawford, the top Crawford, three. Crawford, Crawford, and then number you five. Garcia above Crawford. Yeah, because he's established himself as the Walter as okay. a Walter more so than than Terence has. Okay. Do I think he beats Crawford? No. No, exactly. No. So, no, so, no. so Crawford's a better fighter, but yeah. in terms of you saying top five, in terms of how I would put the ratings. You're being fair to the welterweights that are already Correct. And then number five, you have to put Jeff Horn. Whether you like his decision over Pac-Man or not, he's the WBO champion and he beats. I don't think he. I don't think it was the best decision I've ever seen, but it certainly wasn't the worst. Um, I thought Pacquiao won by a round or two, but having said that that close, they gave it to the Aussie guy. No problem with that. But number five is Jeff Horn for so now. So now that Jeff Horn is bit promoted by top rank, Crawford is obviously top rank. They're going to want to give Crawford a belt as soon as they can. What happens in the fight between Crawford and Horn? Well, Crawford, from what I understand, in the WBO is the number one contender. So it has to happen. So it has to happen. And it's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. But then Horn said he wanted to fight fucking Anthony Mundine the other day. I hate that guy. He, he keeps popping up. Yeah, no. Um, some guys just won't go away. Uh, what happens? Um, Crawford and Crawford, easy. Crawford beats him easy. Too clever for him. Too clever, too slick. Maybe he takes a shot year or two because, you know, Crawford switch hits and he switch hits kind of and he turns position at the wrong time. But I still go with Crawford by stoppage. And then if you can give a quick prospect of the year, either internationally or locally that you've seen, it's a difficult one. Um, Josh Kelly. Trained by Adam Booth, young the, kid. The new Lomachenko. Um, you know, I was with Adam about three years ago in Monte Carlo. We were having breakfast at the Hermitage, and he pulled me aside and he was saying to me that he's found this kid, and if this kid doesn't go all the way, then he doesn't know what he's doing. The kid he was talking about was Josh, Josh Kelly. So, so I've seen him. I, I think he's really good. Um, and then Josh Taylor, the one who stopped Warren Jabeur. I rate him. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant prospect. What's his record at the moment? He is 10 or 11 and 0. Because I know Kelly's only had about four fights. Seven, or five I think fights. he's 7 and 0 at the moment. Yeah. He's a good fighter. Nigel Benson? Uh, limited. Yeah. Limited. He can punch and he's marketable. And, you know, he got put over twice in his last fight in the first round. Jesus, Came what back. a fun fight that was um, to watch. Wow. But, you know, getting put over at that level at you know, at, at this this stage of his career, it doesn't, shows doesn't frailties. Yeah, but again, it's exciting and it's it's great marketing for him because you never know what you're going to get. His dad was a little suspect, but his dad became you know two two time world champion, two weight champion as well. The dark destroyer. Yeah. So now bring it back locally. What's happening with Hickey Butler? What are we going to see him in doing next? So we got screwed in the Philippines. Um, we, I uh, objected, uh, appealed the decision to the IBF. We got an immediate rematch, which, you know, an immediate rematch to me should be an immediate rematch, but we allowed Milan Melinda. next year. Yeah. We allowed Milan, Milan Melinda to fight Tiaguchi for the BA, IBF Championship Unification. 
Tiaguchi won that fight convincingly on the 31st of December, which means we're not going to be fighting Milan Melinda. We've been promised the first crack at the unified champion. Is that promise worth the weight in gold that it was said with? I don't know because my my fear, my thought would be is Tiaguchi might vacate the IBF championship. Why do I say that? Well, you've got two belts now. So 50% is owned by the IBF and 50% is owned by the WBA of the champion. And there's already two fights lined up for him as IBF champion. That's Felix Alvarado, the number one contender. And then there's our case, which we got the immediate rematch for, is Heki Butler. So does Tiaguchi, who's now the ring champion as well, want to be told what to do by one sanctioning body when he's the ring champion and he's the WBA champion? My fear in all of this is that he's going to vacate. And it's your fear because Alvarado versus Heki would be made for the championship belt? Not necessarily, and that's my fear, because the IBF would go back to the rules and choose the two top contenders available. So what, so, so what number is Heki ranked at the moment? The last I saw, we were number six with number two vacant. So I don't know what the next step is. In theory, we should be getting the first crack at Tiaguchi. I'm mentally preparing us to go to Japan and to fight. I saw the Tiaguchi fight. Um, people are going to laugh at me. I think this is an easier fight for Heki to prepare for than the Melinda fight because based on styles. And just so that styles. everybody knows, you are Heki Butler's trainer if you're listening to it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I think style-wise, um, he's a tall, rangy guy. Everything's off his jab. Good fighter, very fit. I honestly don't think that um, Milan Melinda had enough time to recover after Heki's fight. It was brutal. Yeah, and the cuts as well, and the cuts opened up again in this fight. So I I really think that that he needed. He looked tired and sluggish in the second half, and I know the cuts did affect him. But to me, that wasn't the Melinda that fought Heki. And also, um, the high pace volume fight, high volume punching fight, would never suit Milan Melinda. He's not that kind of fighter. But it would suit Heki because he's a high work rate volume fighter. And that's why I really fancy our chances against Tiaguchi. And also, going to Japan, I think we have a better square square deal and a fair chance than the Philippines. And the height of him doesn't bother you Well, at all. you know, it's the second time someone's actually asked me that in, in a day. And it's, it's Heki loves fighting taller guys. He excels against taller guys. It's the shorter guys that he battles with. Yeah. Conco Shorts. Rojas was short. Milan Milendo was short. The taller guys he's really done well with in his career. So I'm hoping that we can get that done. Japan would be an excellent place for you to go. Like, I also think you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a fairer shake to go to Japan, although that's like much of a muchness because anywhere you're fighting away from home is going to be tough. You've got to do really convincingly well to take a belt away from a champion. Correct. And as long as you have honest judges, if you're good enough, you're good enough. Sorry, and honest referees too. Um <laughs> So, so yeah, I fancy my chances. And at the end of the day, Heggie's at the level now where he needs those big fights. Yeah, I think he, he is world-class. He's in that mix. And to to bring him back for anything less than a world title fight at this stage of his career, I think is doing him a big disservice. Especially if it's like even a, a, a silver something to get you your next crack at a title or whatever. I don't like that idea. Well, unless it's a, a legitimate eliminator for world championships. So, so you know, you have to bear that in mind. But eliminators, especially with WBC, like we've been seeing with Elida Alvarez and Adonis Stevenson, eliminators are on worth the paper that they're fucking written on. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's about the waning game. And quite honestly, I don't want to wait with Heki. So, yeah. so I want to I wanna throw him in. I think he's good enough to to win one of these champion legitimate world championships. Maruti, Mklalani, yeah. yeah. So another IBF guy, an IBF guy who was plagued by a bit of bad luck. Um, Twenty seventeen was a great year for him. Three fights got him working again. Got him working again. Got him number five or number six in the BC top ten in the IBF. WBA rec- don't recognize him. Neither do the WBA. Neither do the WBO. Shameful. Um, is that because you haven't paid them? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's be honest. Money money makes everybody get recognised, and I suppose it's probably some kind of a sanctioning thing. Well, I haven't paid the WBC, and I haven't paid the IBF. So uh, we are the IBF international champion, but we haven't paid for ratings. I'd be, you know, I don't I don't have to pay for ratings. My fighters are good enough. If they're good enough, they should be rated, and. Um, not that I'm saying that the WBA and the WBA are that way inclined. I'm just saying it's shameful that, that he's not in the top 15. 
Um, and truth be told, he beat anyone of those champions. He's top five in the world easily. Well, here's the thing. If he's an uncrowned champion, so he's he, definitely number five. So he's not rated by the WBO. But Ring Magazine had the WBO champion at number 10 and Maruti at number five or number six. Enough said. Yeah. So um, we're looking at a warm-up fight in March. Uh, and yeah. Elim- here, we, an eliminator in July. And then hopefully by the end of 2018, a world title shot. So why would a warm-up fight come now in what my sort of estimation of his career so far has been? He's been wasting guys that are below his level to get where mm-hmm. he is. Mm-hmm. Stick him in with something harder. Do you think he's not ready? No, no, I do think he's ready. Um, I, just, I, just, I just think in terms of... The world title. No, in terms of um, TK promotions and so forth. Yeah. It's just about finance... For this year, for this year. So I've spoken to TK and we were we were saying March, July and then World Championship. We're looking at three fights for this year. Okay. And then let's hope television for him as well because that's all he deserves. Yeah, of course. Of course. Reino Liebenberg goes to Germany. When? Yeah. Next month? Yes. Huh. Yes. So bags are packed and ready to go. As soon as you get back to Joburg, it's... Well, I know he's been training. So I know he's been running and so forth. Oh, and you I don't know even when need to worry no, about that with Rain, that guy. Reino's very disciplined when it comes to that kind of stuff. So he's dropped down to the super middleweight division. Uh, he's got a couple of fights left. Um, he knows that as well. And then um, a great career. Never let me down in the ring. He's always given his heart yeah. and soul in it. Never in a bad fight. Always ready to roll. I've had some great memories with Reyno. And um, I love him to bits. He's, he's just he's a really, really stand-up guy. And, um, but he's also a realistic guy. Very realistic. He doesn't talk shit about an inflated uh, expectation of what he thinks he should be. He knows what he is. Yeah, he does. And um, you got to give the guy props, man. He's, you know, when he nearly got killed against Sepang Mahali all those years ago, no one thought he would have gone this far. Yeah. But he has. So I've got massive respect for him. Massive, massive respect for him as a fighter, as a human being, and as a friend as well. What kind of guys has he been sparring in preparation for Vincent Fagenbutz? Um. <coughs> Rainer will spar with anyone. How much are you weighing at the moment? <laughs> He'll spar with anyone. I've got the nose in Cape Town, spar, bro. I can't do that. You know, if I told him Mike Tyson was in town, he'd message me and say, Coach, please get him to the gym and ask him if he'd spar with me. And I'll pay Tyson as well. <laughs> and you know he's not joking. He's the kind of guy who'll spar with anyone. Anyone, any size, bring it. Uh, <clears throat> what we did differently to the last fight was we slowed down his training a little bit. And we gave him a little bit more rest between his sessions. And against Patrick, I thought he looked fresh. And there was no sign of him slowing down, which was great for me, especially because of the drop in weight. Can I just say something that uh, either exposes you as the liar that I think you are? Hmm. When you were on our radio show the other day, you mentioned that McCullough was a tough fight that no one expected us to win. And I was rolling my eyes at every single time you said that because... As soon as that fight got signed, I could not see it as anything but an easy win for Liebenberg. And I know you're trying to sell a fight, and this is no disrespect to McCullough, no disrespect to his trainer. What's that guy's name? Ashley Faree. Ashley Faree. No disrespect to them at all, but he had never rolled in the same circles that Liebenberg had rolled in. And it showed in that fight. It was an easy, easy victory. Now, surely you can admit now that so, that's exactly so hold what on, you hold expected, on. or are you still no, going no, to go no, along no, the no, line I, of no, you anything could happen? Basically... I'm going just by purely what the public was saying on, you know, press releases and social media and stuff. You're just I'd, retweeting I'd, it. I had never seen Patrick fight before except for a few clips on YouTube. And I knew he could punch. And going into the fight, a lot of people felt that, you know, Rayner wouldn't win. Who um, are these people? Show me them. Uh, I don't want to mention their names. They're not even worthy of... Or the airtime on your podcast, so I'm not even going to go there. Um, and I had a few chats with them after the fight and stuff. But you know, if if Patrick could have won, people would have said, "Oh, well, Reno's done. He's washed up. He's you know." But he didn't prove that. So he he proved that he wasn't. So to me, going in, the favorite probably on paper might have been Patrick. I don't know what the odds were. I really don't no, know. I but, can't um, even understand that logic, though. Um, the only thing is, is that Patrick hadn't fought anyone. He was still kind of green. The story goes is that he was nine and oh yeah, with eight KOs. And what, 30, but he had thirty-eight and zero in the Congo. That's that's the story. Where he had ten or eleven fights there. So, you know, going in it was kind of a closed book. 
but I could see from round one. I think round two, Reyna shook him with a left hook, and to me, it was one-way traffic. But even still, the thing being that Reyna was the monster of a man in terms of the size that they were in the ring there, and that you need to basically take a claw hammer to that guy to knock him out. So McCullough must have been something goddamn special in terms of a punch. And like, you'd never seen him fight. I had barely seen him fight, and I didn't see that kind of weaponry coming. Correct. From him. I mean, he was never. Reyna was never rocked or shook or no, you know, not rattled at all. at all. So he was having fun in there because he knew that he could walk straight through McCullough yeah, and yeah. do what he wanted. And his face was unmarked, which was really uncharacteristic <laughs> of a Reyna living big fight. So, um, yeah, I was impressed. I'm impressed by Reyna's conditioning in that fight, and I think we should have maybe dropped him down a super middleweight years ago. So now that he is dropped down to super middleweight, he's got this big opportunity to get into a world contendership mix in a division which isn't as buoyant as it used to be, which is um, I prefer Reyna to be in super middleweights now than, say, <laughs> like five it, or six yeah. years ago when yeah. you had all those killers, including Carl Frock, running around. But he wins this fight. What happens? Well, then he's legitimately all class. He gets into the world-class picture. He gets into world title shots. Which um, trinket is on the line for this particular bout? I believe it's the IBF Intercontinental Championship. Now, Vincent Fagan puts... Which is high... He's highly rated by a lot of the sanctioning bodies. Who, Reyna? No, 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 no. Vincent? Yes. And he's got a good record. Lots of knockouts. Lots of knockouts. But two losses. And both of those losses have come by stoppage. Who were those losses to? Uh, one was for a WBA World Championship... And the other the one, the world w super or the world? it could have been world or interim. Yeah, um, it was a rematch that he was having. He got stopped, and then a stoppage early in his career. So he's vulnerable. And if anyone's going to pick up on that vulnerability, he'll be right now. Yeah, straight off the bat, he's going to get punched once and realize whether it's a good fight for him or a bad fight for him. That's exactly how Reyna would analyze the fight. Yes, and um, Germany obviously. Reyna's been there before. Yeah, we got screwed pretty bad. Um, <laughs> when you guys travel away from home, they you just know, don't you like know, the cut of your jib, no, boy. It's funny, it's funny. You know, you said it to me a few months ago, you know, with Heike losing a split decision with a, a, a terrible referee. Um, you said to me, you know what, Colin, you just need a little bit of luck. And I think you're right. Just a little bit of luck. You know, we lost a split decision to Eric Kuhling, um, Enrico, Enrico, Kuhling. Enrico Kuhling. And we lost the rematch in South Africa, which I must say was a split decision. Duncan Pollock read it incorrectly. But we lost. Um, had we won in Germany, the rematch would have never happened. So just a little bit of luck on our side when we travel. And I think uh, we'll produce the goods. We really are there. I mean, we've got the talent. We've got the ability in the gym. And some really world-class fighters. Just a little bit of luck on our side. Can I just ask, did Reyna ever watch um, Kulling against Better Beer? I'm not sure, but I know he went 12 rounds. He got stopped in the last round. I would, I would have been interested to hear what his comments are because obviously... No, he was impressed that he went 12. He fought Kulung twice yeah. and Better Beav supposed to be this monster killer. But in fairness... Better Beav had been not fighting for a very long time. Yeah, and Kulung never won a round. So, yeah. you know, but still, you, you know, you, you lost that round, those rounds. Now, we've talked about Triple G Canelo. AJ, Anthony Joshua, I think... Without the likes of Mayweather, and you consider his following that he has in the United Kingdom, I think he's the biggest star in boxing today. Yes. Am I wrong in yeah, that assumption? Because no. I've said that to other people, even British guys, and they're like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? But like, you don't sell out 90,000-seater stadiums if nobody knows your fucking name. Correct. Now he's going to have a fight against, supposedly they're 5% away from what I've been reading on fightnews.com this morning, especially from doing a deal with, uh, with Joseph Parker. He beats Joseph Parker. I was expecting so much of Joseph Parker, when, particularly when he stopped, knocked out Franco Bota. And then when he fought Andy Ruiz for the vacant WBO championship, I was expecting so much more. And he was pushed all the way. He was pushed all the way. I thought he beat Ruiz, but I wasn't impressed. I thought Ruiz, if he'd done a little bit more, could have edged him. But I was happy with the decision, but disappointed with his performance. The left hand's very low. He's wide open for a right hand. And um, to me, he got flustered quite a bit in the Ruiz fights. And a guy like Joshua lands with his right hand, that's going to be all over. The common opponent that they have is Carlos Takam. Takam, mm, in my opinion, exposed Parker. Correct. Quite Correct. badly in yep. comparison to what he did to AJ. AJ finished him off. He did, took care of the business. Bit. Correct. But now I've been of the opinion that since Parker won that world title, 
he's sliding. Correct. And I don't know if it's a discipline problem or he's now in this comfort zone where he thinks he's untouchable and no one's telling him otherwise because it, it seems his promoters are all a bunch of fucking smoke blowers to me. And also, I think um, Parker's just getting heavier and heavier, isn't he? Yeah. When you look at his body type and his composition, to me, I, I preferred him when he was a li little leaner, a little lighter. Yeah. To me, he's slowing down. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, to me, I think... Honestly, I think AJ beats him. Okay, so let's be confident in what we say and think that the world is perfect. AJ beats Parker. Yes. Deontay Wilder is now fighting Ortiz. So I think Wilder beats Ortiz, um, and I think Wilder beats AJ. And I'll tell you why. Oh. I'll tell you why. All right, yeah, I'm listening. I'll tell you why. Um. AJ, as good as he is, and he's one of my favorite fighters, he's a little mechanical, a little bit too upright. He has smoothed out with Robin McCracken in his corner over the last couple of fights. But he's still stiff and he's still mechanical. And I see that, yeah. I do understand with what you're Wilder, saying. Wilder, you've got a little bit more flow, a little bit more rhythm to his ability and, and his unpredictability. Style. And that's the thing. He punches from different angles. He windmills from different angles. Correct. And if you saw the second or the first knockdown in his last fight with Stavern was a right hand straight down the middle. Where he jumped out of the ring, basically. It was just, <laughs> yeah, it was just unbelievable. Now, a right hand like that on AJ, he'll have difficulty picking up because it's right down the middle, and that's exactly the shot that Klitschko caught him with. Now, I'm not sure if he's had enough time to make the necessary adjust adjustments with that shot and that angle. And that's why I think Wilder will probably knock him out with the right hand in that position. I can see what you're saying. My only problem with that is, have we seen Wilder get hit flush in the face before yet? I think he's suspect as well. We've seen amateur footage of him getting knocked out, I think, in the Ukraine or Russia. But that was as, as an amateur. We've also seen him get buzzed a couple of times in the ring. But the point is, it's a bombs away fight, and whoever connects first is going to win. So you think that the I speed goes to, to Wilder? Yes, I think he's got faster hands. Um, he's careless and he's reckless, but that's what makes him. And I think, um, I just think he'll, he's got, he's a little bit more ballsy than yeah. AJ. And I think AJ also getting heavier and heavier in his fights now. And that's one of my fears is that he's going to take away his speed. I'm backing Wilder to beat AJ. Interesting. I, I can see where you're coming from, and I think the, like you said, it's who gets there first. Yeah, and I think Wilder wastes no time, you know. And I, and let's be honest, both guys head hard, but Wilder knocks guys spark out. No, they're twitching on the floor when he gets dropped. Yeah, I mean, Stavern had a really decent chin. <laughs> you know, the way he walked right through him was just crazy. And also, it was not just the way he walked right through him, but he wanted to get out of there quickly. He didn't want to work very hard for this. I mean, what, they went 12 rounds the last time? Correct. One round. One round. Blowout. You'd think to yourself, okay, well, what was different about this fight then in comparison to the first fight? Because how does a guy go 12 rounds and then this time he gets smoked without even throwing a punch? Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the last knockdown, uh, Steven was out. He was out, spark out. And um, there were three knockdowns and... Um, Arthur McKenzie Jr. was just, yeah, listen, this is it. This guy's not going to make it. You know? My problem with that fight as well, though, when I watched it, is uh, Stavern had a look on his face before the fight started that he wasn't interested in being there. Interested or not, he still got taken out in round. So, you know, we can say this, or there were things going on behind the camp. There's always going to be those stories and those conspiracy theories or, you know, a situation with his promoter, Don King. Blah, blah, blah. The point is he got sparked out in one round. Speaking of getting sparked out in one round, are we going to assume that Zolani Tete's knockout over Siboni Sogonia is knockout of the year? Well, in the BSA awards, it doesn't comply with a, with a timeline. So possibly for the next awards. Um, okay, well, in my awards, 2017 is when it happened. So let's go from there. So I would say, I would say definitely, uh, globally, one of the best knockouts in the, in the world. Um, locally, as far as I understand, for the BSA awards, he will not be eligible for that award. So I'll have to go with Lorato Dlamini knocking out Sitambini Bum, <laughs> who again who again won an upset beating V12 um, later uh, towards the end of 2017. And another disclaimer and asterisk on that is that Colin Nathan is his trainer. Yeah, sorry, don't hate me for training him. <laughs> but um, in terms of Zolani Teti, yeah, 
breathtaking again. But I need to criticize that fight. I thought it was a mismatch going yeah. in. And um, someone said to me the other day, I was clever of his management to get him the world title shot. So I said, clever for 11 seconds. Yes. And I said, oh, was it competitive for the first 11 seconds? I don't even think he's working exactly. up yet. So, so the thing is, is that what would have happened, the person came back and said, yeah, but it was one shot, you know, cold knock, knock out cold, knocked out cold, could have happened to anyone. I said, okay, well, what would have happened if the fight carried on? Mismatch of note. The WBO should be questioned. How do you consider that guy the third best bantamweight in the world when he couldn't even beat the South African champion possibly in Toto Lebi or even Makwaka here from Cape Town? And he's the third best bantamweight in the world to 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 qualify for world title. I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, the belt that he won in Durban was that not the sort of launch pad to a world title shot? In terms does it of doesn't WBO? make him the third best bantamweight in the world? I agree, but this is WBO's rules. It's like you said, a- according to rules, it's always a different thing than what Correct. it should be on paper. Correct. Correct. And I also agree with you. I mean, I announced that fight where he won that title, and I watched him really for the first time then, and I thought to myself. I don't really see all mm. the hype that your promoters are Good prospects, I mean, but not ready for that kind of fight. But I mean, what, he only had 10 or 11 fights? So, something like that. Against one, one loss and one loss and five knockouts. To, yeah, something like that. Zolani, 20, Zolani Teddy was in his mid-20s in terms of fight experience. Correct. Zolani actually prepared at us for that fight. And I just, I just knew it wasn't going to go along. Was <laughs> I, I, didn't think, I didn't think it'd be 11 seconds. I just didn't. You know, didn't but think it there was never a doubt in your mind when watching Zolani in the ring in your in your gym that this oh was no. going to be anything different than. No, I don't, I don't think Zolani needed a trainer for that fight. I don't even think Zolani needed to train. He just had to make weight. Seriously, seriously. I mean, it was going to be that easy. Where do you want to see Zolani go next? Obviously, Ryan, uh, the unification. Uh, Ryan is Ryan Burnett. Burnett. Um, I don't think that fight's going to happen anytime soon. Do you I think, think Adam? Bo- I think I, I think Adam Booth is smart enough to keep. Keep away from Zolani for now. Okay, so you think and that so is Eddie Hearn. But I think um, if Zolani has a dodgy performance here or there, then they'll talk. So maybe it's almost in Zolani's best interest to look vulnerable in his next fight. Well, I doubt that he'll win in 11 seconds again, but he, to me, Zolani's one of the best bantamweights in the world. His next fight has already been worked out, though. Correct. Who is it against? Quayle? Um, uh, against Omar Navarez. Navarez. The, yeah, the number one contender from Argentina. Former world champion. Ex-Olympian, and he's won several championships at the lower weights. But Good on the fighter, long side he's, of 40. He's 42, I believe. And uh, when is that fight supposed to happen? February 10th. Okay. Now, before we end things off, the mm-hmm. super... Sauerland have been putting on, obviously, their championship of boxing in yeah. the super middleweight and and cruiserweight division. Maris Bradis yeah. is a difficult for one for me to pin down. He is really good. Obviously, he's undefeated. He's one of those guys who won a world title and having a handful of fights, not even 10. Beat, like, up, beat up a couple of South Africans, too. Exactly. Yeah. This, he, he beat up quite a few South Africans doing it. But so did Alexander Usyk. Yeah. So they're common opponents, all the South Africans. They've starched <laughs> on the way to winning their world titles. They're likely to fight in the final of this competition. What do you see happening there? Because I can't pick a winner out of the two of them. Because they're common opponents, all South Africans. Great. Who's had the tougher opponents? The way that uh, Bredis handled, uh, was it? No, was Usyk who handled Hook. And didn't Bredis fight Hook as well? I am not 100% sure. Okay. Well, what do you what do you see out of that? So I, I'm going with a better boxer. Usyk? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going with a better boxer because a good boxer will always be the good fighter. And you think that That's Bredis the general is a rule. fighter? I think Usak's got those long arms. He's awkward. He knows how to use that awkwardness. Footwork. Footwork's great. His range is epic. Um, he's done nothing wrong since turning pro. And Breedis is one of those guys who's had to work hard to, to get where he is. Um, I think it'll be a competitive fight, but I'm going with Usak possibly on points. And what a lot of people don't know is Usak is now trained by Lomachenko Sr. Correct. Which explains footwork. Correct. And, you know, they're also friends from, from the team and so forth. So um, my money would be on Usak. And then when you drop down to the uh, middleweight division. Super middleweight. Super middleweight division. I'm going, yeah, I know we're going to get there. Groves versus I'm going, I'm your going, boy Eubank. I'm going with Eubank. Um, I don't particularly like Eubank. 
um, and you know the way him and his father conduct themselves. But I think he's improved since losing to Saunders. And you I think Frotch snatched Saunders, uh, snatched Groves's soul, and he's never been the same. I think that, and although <laughs> Groves has been winning, he's lost something. And to me, he's winning fights, but he's not looking good doing it. The stoppages at the end, great, but what's happening before that? And I'm, I think he has a problem with speed and a guy who can move really well. And I think Ubeck's that guy, and I think Ubeck beats him on points. Thank you very much for all your opinions. When you get back to Joburg, what's your first order of business? Reino, obviously, to Germany. To get into the gym, Reino, and then obviously working with Lamini for the final of the S. Uh, Super 4 down in East London against uh, Zynga, which I'm looking forward to. What date and is that going to be? That's going to be massive yeah, in yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure yet. And then obviously start working on um, Heki Badla and see what's happening there with the politics of boxing. And then uh, start working with my young fighters. I've got a young kid who's 17 years old, Anthony Krobler, remember the name, something special. Um, I don't normally say this about fighters, but He's going to go all the way. 17 and turning pro already? Yes. He has turned pro. He's got his He will turn pro. He will turn pro in April. Okay. And then you, you're, what's your ideal sort of work around him? Give him like a good 10, 15 fights of development? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's young. He's a baby. It's yeah. no rush. But he's, he's one to watch. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm going to keep a lookout for that now, man. All your other guys. And goddamn, I hope 2018, if it's anything as good as 2017, yeah. is we're going to be sitting here in a year from now doing the same thing. Brilliant. And uh, when you come down to Cape Town, you're always welcome in the studio. That's Thank awesome, you very man. Much. Very Thank cool very setup, much. too. Thanks for having me. Great for your time, and enjoy the rest of your time in Cape Town, and I'll see you on TV soon, my friend. For sure. Take care. That was powerful. Perfect timing as well. <laughs>